Today we are continuing in our series on the letter to the Philippians. And I encourage you, if you've missed any of these messages, to go to our website and you can find them all there. Last week we looked at chapter 2 and uh, verses 12 and 13. We saw that God works his salvation in us. He wants us to work out our salvation day by day. And God will work in us to give us the desire and the ability, the power to carry out his purposes. That's just, God finishes what he started, right? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so today we're going to continue on in chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 16. And we're going to explore the idea of doing things, right? Doing stuff, doing life without grumbling and complaining and arguing and disputing. All right, so let's read these verses together, shall we? Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, and it says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. Now that's short. Let me read it one more time for you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. All right, would you bow and pray with me over these verses? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. Give us a heart to understand, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Paul says, verse 14 here, do everything without grumbling or arguing, right? Some translations might say uh, without complaining or arguing or without grumbling or disputing, right? So um, this is a great parenting verse, isn't it? I mean, when I was a parent of young children, uh, I think this was one of the verses I quoted most often to my children. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You know, I tell them, you got to go clean your room or it's time to go to bed, and they'd start fussing and complaining. And I'd say, you know, what does the Bible say? Do everything without grumbling or arguing, right? And, uh, uh, and then they'd go off, and it was great, right? And I think the only verse I ever quoted more than that verse when they were young uh, was Ephesians 6.1, which says, uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, I think by the time they were five years old, they thought the entirety of the Bible, from beginning to end, was, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and do everything without complaining or arguing, right? It's a great parenting verse, right? But it's also a great verse for living. It's a great verse for people of all ages. I got one amen on that. I think two, right? It's a great verse for all of us, right? I mean, because we can all be given to grumbling and complaining, right? It's not hard, is it? It's easy to grumble and complain. Sometimes it's harder to be thankful, right? And so um, I want you to see, as we begin this uh, study, I want you to see this verse in its context first, right? As we begin, uh, I mean, it's great to pull it out for parenting, right? Maybe it's great to pull it out if you've got a Christian business and you want your employees to stop grumbling and arguing, right? But we need to see it in its context. And uh, so this verse is still part of the larger passage that Paul really began at Chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul said, whatever happens, like whatever's going on in your life, we want you to act in a way, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. 
And then that idea continued into chapter 2, the first few verses, uh, with the ideas of being united with Christ and with each other and having the same love and tenderness and compassion and having humility and looking towards the interests of other people, right? And then the same thought process continues in verses 6 to 8 where, where Jesus humbled himself, became obedient unto death, right, for the sake of other people. And then in verses 9 to 11, we saw that Jesus was exalted to the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father, right? And then this verse comes immediately after our verses from last week in which we saw that we should work out our salvation, that is live out our salvation day by day in the power and ability that the Holy Spirit gives us, right? And the next thing he says is this, the very next thing, do everything without grumbling or complaining, all right? So let me ask you, when we say that, right, when we read that, what's the very first thing that comes to your mind? Is it a situation at work? Like maybe between you and someone else? Or maybe between two people that you have to deal with on a, on a daily basis? Is it a situation at home? You know, a situation uh, at church or a situation between you and God? And so where do you think this verse, do everything without grumbling and complaining, should be applied? In what situations should we apply this? At home? I mean, with your kids? With your parents? With your spouse at work, maybe? Well, look at the verse again. What does it say? It says, yeah, do everything. Here. I'm going to let Crystal go preach now. <laughs> very good, very good. You can tell she's reading, she's paying attention. Awesome. All right, do everything. That's kind of universal, isn't it? I mean, it's really kind of universal. It doesn't just say, hey, do everything at work without grumbling or complaining. Right? It doesn't say, do everything at school without grumbling or complaining. Right? It doesn't say, do everything at home or at church without grumbling or arguing. It just says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Say, that's a lot of stuff being done without complaints, isn't it? And without arguments and disputes. That's a lot of stuff. And so let me suggest this morning just two broad areas of life that you might do everything without complaining and arguing. I think this will cover just about everything, all right? The first is this, in your relationship with God. Do everything without grumbling and arguing in your relationship with God. Now, someone's going to say, Pastor Paul, what are you talking about? Who in the world would ever grumble and complain against God? Who would do that? Well... People, right? People would do that. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever stopped just to listen to the world around you for a few minutes? I mean, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining going on. You know, sometimes I wonder, um, when God listens to the world around him, if sometimes we don't sound like that kid on the video that we just watched, right? And, you know, it's not just like people in general. The most blessed people are the loudest complainers. I mean, have you ever noticed that? I mean, sometimes, you know, I've seen people, they're walking down the street with their $1,000 iPhones that are filled with Amazon Prime and Netflix accounts and Hulu and uh, Disney Plus and all that. They're trying to figure out what they're going to be entertained with that day. And they've got a $6 cup of coffee, getting into a great car, complaining about how bad they have it, how terrible life is right, for them, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be the most blessed people complaining and arguing against God. You know, um, in Exodus chapter 15, 
the Israelite children. It says, just three days, just three days after God had delivered them from the Egyptian army and they'd come through the, the Red Sea on dry ground and saw the whole Egyptian army um, covered over by, by the Red Sea, just three days later, it says that the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And even in the next chapter, Oh, and by the way, it wasn't really Moses they were grumbling against. It was really God who was their provider that they were grumbling against. And then we get to just one chapter later, it says they grumbled again, saying, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You know, really? Would that really be better, <laughs> you know, than whatever circumstances you're in? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Um, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then in the very next chapter, again, it says they grumbled again, saying, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Grumble, grumble, grumble. And then a little bit later, in Numbers chapter 11, it says, The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now, can I tell you something? The Bible says that God is slow to anger and rich in mercy. But these people complained and grumbled so much that they aroused God's anger. And it goes on to say that fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp until Moses cried out to God for them. And you know what? You'd think... With that experience, they learn their lesson, right? And stop complaining and stop grumbling and arguing against God, right? But then only a couple verses later, it says they began to complain again. If only we had meat to eat. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And, uh, you know, I mean, the way they described it, I mean, you'd have thought they were down at Miller's Smorgasbord every night, right? With a buy one, get one free coupon, just living it up, right? I mean, at no cost. I mean, come on, they were slaves eating slave rations. I mean, it was probably all half spoiled by the time it got to them, right? This is a really um, a colorful memory they're having of what their experience was here. But they're saying, oh, it was so much better, right? Finally, in Numbers chapter 14, on the very eve of the day that God was going to bring them into the promised land, when they were going to see the fulfillment of all God's promises, they complained again. And I want to look at this one a little bit more closely, go a little bit in depth with it, because it shows us something that's really important, all right? So here they were, right on the edge of the promised land, and Moses had sent out Joshua and Caleb and ten other spies to spy out the land, right? And they came back and they gave the report. And uh, the ten spies, well, they gave this evil report, right? I mean, they did describe the land, how it was flowing with milk and honey and all that, but they said, you know what? There's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. There's all these obstacles. We'll never be able to take it. They said, we're going to be killed. Our, we're going to be run through with the sword and our women are going to be taken advantage of and our children are going to be made into slaves. And they just worked up the people into this frenzy of, of, of panic. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit in them, it says. Instead, they had a spirit that was full of faith and trust in God. And they quieted the people and said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't say that. God is going to give the land to us. Now, no, they also agreed there were giants in the land, right? There were fortified cities in the land. That wasn't the issue. 
The issue is, what is God going to do? That's the real issue. But look how they responded. Chapter 14, verse 1, it says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And when Moses and Aaron fell face down and, and Joshua and Caleb uh, tried to encourage them, it says, verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. But then verse 11, look what God does. He steps in. He says, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them? I mean, that's really kind of the issue right there, isn't it? Believing in God, refusing to believe. Now, keep in mind that these redeemed people had seen an awful lot of gracious things from the hand of God. I mean, think about it. Just in the, just in the short history, right before this passage, they had, they had seen all the ten plagues in Egypt. They had seen how God had made a distinction between them and between the Egyptians on several of the plagues, right? They had seen God take them out of Egypt. They saw God part the Red Sea as they walked through on dry ground and then saw the Egyptians try to come through and God just cover them over with the Red Sea and deliver them from the army of the Egyptians, right? And then they saw God right in their midst, in their camp, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I mean, there's God. I mean, you're right in the camp and there's this huge pillar. God's in there. He's covered with clouds and, uh, and, and there's darkness and thunders and all of that. And then at night, there's this pillar of fire. And then when God wanted them to move, that whole pillar would just move and the whole camp would just fall until God... All right, here's the place where you need to be. I mean, God himself was among them and leading them. And then they, they heard his voice, right? They heard the audible voice of God, and it was so awesome and so powerful that they pleaded with Moses, don't, don't let us hear that voice anymore because we think we're going to die if we keep hearing that voice. And then God provided for them as well. Water out of a rock for two million people a day. Can you imagine how much water had to come out of that rock to feed? That wasn't just a little trickle. That was a gusher, right, to feed, to, 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 to have two million people a day drink. And then manna from heaven, day after day after day, God just providing manna. You wake up in the morning, there's your food. Now, most of life is supposed to be God has ordained that we go out and we work for our food, right? What did it say? Um, uh, Paul wrote, um, you know, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. That's God's method of providing. That's generally God's method. That's how he wants to do it. You know, I know sometimes there are some situations, right, where we have to go and, and help and be compassionate in ministry, but generally speaking, that's how we get our food. But at this time, God was just providing it for them day after day. Manna from heaven, it says the food of angels. God had done an awful lot for them. And yet, when they came to the edge of the promised land, they lacked faith. They refused to believe. 
right? And it's not that the report was inaccurate or anything like that. I mean, there were giants in the land, right? There were fortified cities in the land. Uh, there were high walls. That was true, right? There were obstacles and frightening things in that land. All right, that was true. And it was probably true that without God's help, that everything that they thought was going to happen, them getting run through with the sword and, and their wives and children being taken plunder, all that was true in the natural, without God's help, right? Unless God helped them, all of that was true. And at the key moment of their lives, they refused to believe that God was going to help them. They refused to believe that the God who delivered them from the army of Egypt was going to deliver them from the armies of Canaan. They refused to believe that God was going to do what he promised that he would do, in spite of all the miracles that he had done for them. And so that's why they grumbled and complained against God. And so, you know, the real issue with grumbling and complaining against God is about whether you believe God is going to do what he's promised to do in your life, in my life. They, believe, they believed the report of the natural rather than the report of the spiritual. They believed the report of their eyes rather than the report of their God. They believed the false report rather than a true report. They believed the devil's lies rather than God's promises. In their eyes, the giants of Canaan were bigger than the God who humbled Egypt. You know, in Psalm 78, it's talking about this very situation, this very incident when it says, they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. In Psalm 106, again, it's talking about this very incident when it says, they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. You know, sometimes you just need to wait for his plan to unfold. I mean, you will face giants. You'll face giants in your Christian walk, right? Uh, um, there'll be giants between you and the promise. There'll be armed, fortified cities between you and the promises of God. I mean, there will be things that in the natural, in your own abilities, you won't be able to handle. But you have a big God who says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you. Who says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Who says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the God we serve. That's the big, faithful God we serve. And sometimes we have to remember what he has done throughout history and in our lives. And we have to wait for his plan to unfold and continue to believe God and trust for his deliverance. Do everything without grumbling or arguing in your relationship with God. Now, someone's going to say about now, but Pastor Paul, what about David? And what about the Psalms, right? Didn't David complain a lot to God? Well, thank you. Yes, he did, right? Um, David was often honest with God. He brought his complaints to God. And sometimes... Let's be honest, sometimes they were very raw, right? They were just right out there. He just laid it out and said, God, here's what's going on. I'm really struggling with this, but here's the difference. The Psalms were personal prayers 
in which the psalmist is seeking help from God. They're expressions of faith. They're honest about what the situation is, sometimes even very raw, saying, God, I don't like this situation. I, I don't want to go through this situation. I'm struggling with this situation. But they also almost always usually begin and end with a statement of faith, something that goes along the lines of, you know, God has heard my cry. I know God has heard my cry. He's going to help me. He's going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to bring me through. They're actually statements of faith that look at the face of really difficult circumstances and say, I know God is going to help me and bring me through. The Israelites in these passages, on the other hand, there was no faith in them at all. They were more like accusations. Accusations of wrongdoing. They're accusing God of treating them wrongly. They're accusing God of treating them unfairly. And there's no faith in them that God's going to, to bring about his plan. As a matter of fact, I mean, look at it. They, they literally accuse God of bringing them to this point with the intention of having them all be uh, run through with the sword and uh, the women and children being taken advantage of. They're accusing God of, of, of planning and designing that. That's how they viewed God. So there's this difference between honest and even raw prayer that seeks God's help and a complaining, accusing spirit that is just accusing God of wrongdoing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing in your relationship with God. And then secondly, do everything without complaining or grumbling and arguing in your relationship with people. I know some of you are saying right now, well, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's the hard part, right? Because God's perfect, right? I mean, the truth is, when you look at it, God's never done you any wrong. Sometimes people do you wrong. The thing about that is, if we're all honest, though, sometimes we've done wrong to other people as well, right? So do everything in your relationship with people without grumbling and complaining. Now, a look at the cultural context right here. I think I can help a little bit, right? Philippi, this book that we're studying, was in the middle of Macedonia, which was a Greek province, right? And very much influenced by Greek philosophy and culture. And so it was not uncommon at all in, in a Greek city, in, in the marketplace, among everything else that was going on, you know, to have this, uh, uh, this philosopher over here on these steps, and, and he's philosophizing, he's got all of his disciples around him and other people, they're questioning and peppering him with questions, and, and, and he's trying to teach them and show them how he's right. And then over here, in this other part, there's another philosopher on this step over here, and he's got all of his uh, people around him, and he's arguing back and forth, and he's trying to show them how his ideas are so much better than that guy over there, right? That was commonplace. As a matter of fact, it says um, in Athens, it says the people of Athens did nothing all day but sit around and, and talk about all the latest ideas, right? That, that, that was what they, they liked to do. Um, as a matter of fact, that's why in Corinth, it says that they had disputes among them. One person saying, you know, well, I follow Paul. Another one saying, I follow Apollos. Another one saying, well, I follow Peter. Basically, they had just imported that cultural thing that they did, you know, into the church. They did it out in the marketplace. So now, hey, we're in the church. So, hey, who do you follow? Who do you think's the best guy? Who do you think's the best guy? And Paul is, is telling them and warning these Greek believers from Philippi against doing that. He's saying, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't grumble and argue and dispute among each other. You know, your culture might be like that, but don't import that into your life, right? Don't take that with you into your relationships. Don't, don't bring that with you into your Christian walk. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of grumbling and arguing and complaining and disputing in our world today. I mean, for a bunch of years. 
right? I mean, our culture is not perfect, is it? I mean, it's not the kingdom culture that will be here. It's not the paradise that will be here when Jesus comes back and he's ruling in his kingdom, right? You know, and there's some things that can sometimes use some criticism, right? And, and some correcting. He says here, do everything without grumbling or complaining. You know, there seems to me such an increase in the amount of arg- not just arguing and complaining and disputing, but yelling and screaming in our culture. I mean, have you noticed it? I mean, past t- 10, 15 years even. And, and there are important issues that need to be worked on. But it does seem like sometimes, I mean, you can't turn on the nightly news without having two and three people just screaming at each other. I mean, to the place where you can't even tell what's being said. Right? And, and something that was a gimmick for daytime television seems to have become kind of a, 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 a nightly thing for, 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 night, for what's supposed to be mainstream news, right? And what was a gimmick for daytime television seems to be uh, overflowing into our streets now. Do everything without arguing or disputing. Now, that doesn't mean, I want you to hear me now, that does not mean that God doesn't want us to speak to issues in our culture. I believe God does want us to speak to issues in our culture as we hold out the word of life, right? The, the word of truth, right? I'm not saying God wants us to be silent. It's just that screaming at people and yelling at people won't change anyone's hearts. But it seems like, to me, the screaming and yelling has, is just pushing its way into so many areas of life, right? In, into our job sites, into our homes sometimes, into our families, into our relationships, into our kids' ball games even, and even trying to push its way sometimes into the body of Christ. With an eye towards, I think, of dividing people into as many factious groups as is possible. You know, and social media is not really doing any help um, either as well, right? I mean, uh, the more and more frequently I'm seeing friends of mine begin to argue, you know, about something that they appear to agree on. Have you ever seen this yet? It looks like they agree on something and they're saying the same thing, but with every single post, they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier until they finally just cut each other off. Am I the only one who's ever seen that? And, uh, and it looks like it's more about the argument and trying to just win an argument than it really is about doing anything about an issue. And, and I think that's really kind of sad because our passage here doesn't say do nothing, right? What's it say? It says do everything. Just do it without the screaming and yelling and arguing and grumbling part with it. And you know, if the parable, I think if the parable of the Good Samaritan tells us anything, it tells us that we can do more good with our hands for a real person in our community than we can by shouting at people from across the internet, right? shouting at people across the country. And uh, that's why our people are down at CityGate right now. Why? Because they can do good with their hands and then maybe um, something with their mouths as well. Do everything without grumbling or complaining because something comes from that. Let's look at it in the next verses, verses 15 and 16. It says this, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. 
Now, wait a minute. What is Paul saying here? I mean, does he mean that, you know, we may become pure and blameless? You know, once we start doing this, then we'll become pure and, pure and blameless? I mean, I thought we were already pure and blameless, right? Because of the righteousness of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, right? So is he saying that we will become that? Well, no, I don't think that's what he's saying here. He's saying something else, something different. You see, we do live in a warped and crooked generation. I mean, there's lots of things wrong with the world, right? I mean, there's violent crime, there's murder, there's human trafficking, there's injustice, right? There's an epidemic of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, right? We live in a warped and crooked generation. And he compares that, he compares that to the darkness of the night sky. Now, imagine with me for a minute, what would the night sky look like if there were no stars and there were no moon? It would just be just gaping nothingness, darkness, and hopelessness. And here's the problem then I think Paul's getting at with the grumbling, complaining Christian. See, we don't look blameless and pure and without fault to this crooked generation when we're, when we're complaining. Instead, we look just like them. So when a Christian is known as a complainer, say, on the job site, we look just as crooked as anyone else. When, when, when Christians complain and argue among each other, they're not without fault. They don't look to be without fault in the eyes of the world around them. And when Christians take to social media and, uh, and with ad hominem attacks against other people and against other Christians, well, we do not shine like stars in the sky as we hold out the word of life. But when you live Jesus, when you approach all that stuff that life is, is bringing towards us and throwing at us, and instead of grumbling and complaining and arguing and screaming and fighting and all of those things, and instead you approach that stuff with tenderness and compassion and love and humility and the attitude that Jesus displayed uh, towards uh, us as well, uh, then you shine like stars in the night sky as you hold out the word of life to a dying world you know i believe that that's what god is looking for that's what god wants the body of christ to believe to be as we engage this world around us you know he doesn't want us to run from it on the other hand and hide and pretend you know none of this stuff that we see is happening right at the same time he just doesn't want us to run and start screaming at everybody you know uh, about it but he wants us to do everything. Do everything in a way that holds out the word of life and makes a difference in people's lives. It's why we have ministries like CityGate and Water Street Mission and the YWCA and Prison Ministry and, and Compassionate Ministry. It's why we do that stuff, to touch people who are right here in our community. It's why we support missionaries who across the world who are often doing these compassionate ministries and uh, uh, digging wells and other things like that and food distribution. Why? Because of the love and compassion of the Lord Jesus. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. All right, so as we get ready to conclude this morning, I want to finish with this thought. You know, probably the greatest example who ever lived of this idea is Jesus. I mean, think about it. He is 
the eternal Son of God, who's worshipped by angels, completely holy and righteous, and, uh, and we're not. I mean, we, we, we're not any of that of ourselves, right? And uh, he could have just stayed in heaven and judged us from there. He would have been completely righteous in doing that. He could have just judged us from there, but he didn't. He became one of us. He came to where we are, walked among us, experienced everything that we experienced, uh, healed us, taught us, finally died at our hands, the just for the unjust, to bring it to God. He never sinned, never did anything wrong, never did anything deserving of punishment or criticism in any way. And he had the authority, think about this, it says he had the authority to call on more than 12 legions of angels to come and rescue him and be at his beck and call just at a word, just like that. He had that authority. And yet, when they took him and falsely accused him and beat him and crucified him and nailed him to a tree, Isaiah described what he did this way. It says, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The one who never sinned was dying in the place of sinners. I mean, if there was ever an injustice that cried out for justice, it was this one. The one whose voice created humanity was now being killed by the very humanity that he had created. While more than 12,000 angels at the ready stood down and let it happen. Because Jesus didn't grumble or complain or argue with the Father's will. Why would he do such a thing? Well, it's simple. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's because this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and gave his one and only Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I want to pray with you. I want to believe with you. I believe God wants you to encourage you this morning. So would you all bow with me in prayer? And I'm going to ask if, uh, if you're either here or you're watching online or listening and you haven't ever taken an opportunity to open your heart to Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, to start following him and walking with him, this is your opportunity now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say this prayer. I'm going to ask the whole congregation here to repeat this prayer with me. It's not a magic prayer, but it's a prayer of repentance, and it's a prayer to start a relationship with God. So will you all follow me in this prayer? It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I come today. I confess I can't save myself. You're holy, and I'm not. I don't measure up to your standard. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. Jesus, please be my Savior and my Lord. Help me walk with you and trust you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you, if you've done that, whether it's for the first time or whether you're maybe coming back to the Lord uh, to begin another walk with him, uh, to walk with him again after going away from him, uh, uh, this is just the start. 
of a walk with Jesus. And, and God wants you to grow in your relationship with Jesus every day. If you're not in the, in the Word of God, I encourage you to be in it. Begin with the Gospel of Mark, and uh, you'll be amazed at how God is speaking to you through His Word. And then pray a little bit every day. Get in God's Word. And then let someone know what you've done. Let a, a Christian let you know what you've done, or, or let us know. Go on our website and send us a connect card, because we'd love a chance to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, would you all just bow in prayer one more time as we close this service? Amen. God, we just pause now. Pause our hearts. We bow our hearts before you. God, help us, I pray, to live out these verses. Make us stars against the night sky. Make us a candle in a dark room, God, I pray. God, may your word be expressed through us so that we can bring healing and love to the situations in which we find ourselves in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 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 God bless you all so much. May he fill you with his spirit and his grace all week long. In Jesus' name, amen.